You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, I am here. I am ready for another footy frenzy. It's going to be good. I'm excited. Uh, I, I think it was kind of weird last week. Funnily enough, that was when all the news popped up and there was a bunch of tribunal stuff and we had all these different conversations that we haven't had to have for the last few weeks. But uh, I'm certainly not going to be complaining for the next couple of weeks sitting down on the couch and watching footy every night again. How do you, um, you have view this where there's many people off? We have footy every day and seasons move forward. People are going to get sick of it. You know, it's, it's too much footy. I, I just don't believe that at all uh, i don't see that and i think you know having footy every day for, of the season every season is probably not going to be something that happened but those people like oh every day it, it's too much i think it actually helps in terms of not having five days during the week where people talk shit about uh um, yeah. you know, what, what what is this is christian petrarca the greatest player of all time is you know is this person done like just the massive media overreaction to every little thing five days a week versus, hey, we've got a game on. Let's actually talk about what's happening now. Let's not make up uh, nonsense with your that your um, namesake often does just to create content when the games are on. I, I just don't see... Maybe people listening to this will say, yeah, no, nah, it was too much footy. I didn't like it every day. To me, spreading it out meant we actually focused on the games a lot more and not the bullshit that goes around it as much as what normally happens. Yeah, I think the lack of or the minimized clickbait is great. I mean, I think we're both in the same boat that we don't really like that. I, the, the other thing that I really love is the fact that the, there's not games on at the same time. I, yes. I love that because it's you know it's frustrating during the season if you get a, a Saturday night, for example, where there's two games on and you want to watch both of them. Um, they're both really good uh, contests. It's, it's like I like the fact that there's no games on at the same time. So, sure, if you're asking me on a Wednesday night if I'm if I'm really interested in watching North Melbourne Adelaide th- this season, for instance, like no, not really. But I'll probably have it on in the background because I'm not going to be watching some ridiculous reality show anyway. So what else am I doing? I'll put the footy on for sure, no matter who, no matter who is playing. But yeah, for me, the big thing is just getting an opportunity to really watch the games in isolation, all of them, and not feel like you're giving up your whole damn weekend just sitting on the couch watching footy. I kind of like that. Yeah, I could I, still do some other stuff on the weekend and then during the week I'll watch footy. I love it. Yeah, I think it I think it actually uh, furthers discussion as well because you have players or, or media people who are like, oh, I didn't see, didn't see this game or you yeah, haven't watched much of this team. It's really not a massive excuse to not see these. Even if you don't watch it live on Wednesday night, get up and watch it in two hours on Thursday morning. Like you can do that. You can get up and watch it there. So it's not like yeah, there was four games on and five games on on one day, and I couldn't sit for nine hours and have two screens going and try and you know get it all in so I could talk about it the next day. If there was a way to do it where we had footy every day, I think it's actually significantly better for the game and the coverage of the game and the growth of the game in general. So one of the things I've been really interested in over the last couple of weeks, and I've been trying to find a way to really quantify this, and I don't think it's possible just because of the small sample size we've had, and we're not going to really know until we get an extended period of time of watching this type of footy. 
But I, I do wonder what the relevance of these results in the footy frenzy is going to apply to finals footy when you don't have four-day breaks and five-day breaks. And really, the discrepancy between teams... I know the game I always go back to, just because it's in the in the front of my mind, is the Gold Coast-Richmond game where the Suns are on a five-day break, the Tigers on a nine-day break. I mean, to me... And we see it in other sports where people say, well, that's a schedule loss. Yeah. And we talk about it all the time. We cover the NBA. That, to me, was a, a game that the Suns were scheduled to lose and in a game that they really needed to win. So I think the downside of the footy frenzy is that you have situations like that where teams, through really no fault of their own, are put at a huge disadvantage and it becomes more about player management than anything else. So... I think the teams that have got through the footy frenzy the best, they've stayed the healthiest, clearly have been able to win more games, and then they put themselves in a better position for the finals. But come finals times when teams have seven-day breaks, are those results where you beat a team on a four-day break really going to matter come finals time when teams are fresh? I don't know. I think that's going to be the interesting thing in the next few weeks. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a huge point, and that's something that is um, or does need to be um, taken into consideration, but I also think that the way that the fixture was created on the fly this year, that if this sort of thing was to happen in the future, you wouldn't be under the constraints of playing every team only once for a start. Like if if it needs to be, hey, we can play this team twice now because this is how it would actually make the schedule work better. You have more rounds to do it. It's not like oh well, they've already played Sydney, therefore you can't go into New South Wales to play Sydney in a Sydney hub. Do you know, like you could have that flexibility. And when you've got two months to sit down and plan all that out, and I think you're able to make it a lot more equitable versus like, shit, these teams need to play each other here, and it's the only time we can get it slotted in. I think that those problems would go away in the future, because there's no doubt that it's a problem. You know, four-day break versus eight-day break, it's a big issue. Right? But I think that those things can be significantly minimized when you have an actual off-season to prepare, and that's what you're going to do, and you've got the flexibility of more rounds and... And yeah, the ability to play teams more than once in that scenario, it, it opens up a lot more flexibility there. Yeah, certainly this year. I, I think they've done an incredible job to do this on the fly. I, I think that's the thing that probably gets looked over a little bit. It does look like, and there were some reports, I think earlier this morning, might have been last night, who, who bloody knows anymore. But uh, it looks like the grand final might be on October 24. Uh Horrible news if you are a Geelong fan like myself. It looks like the pre-finals buy is going to stay. So, uh, Katz, you better finish in the top four because if not, you're screwed because you're definitely losing that first final. So, October 24, uh, and obviously we're still yet to know whether this is going to be in WA or Queensland. Obviously, it looks like Brisbane and West Coast are going to be in the top four. So this is going to be a huge swing for either of those teams. And let's be honest, they'll probably feel justified that they finally get a chance to play a grand final at home. Uh, I did just read a report that it says that Queensland's ability to host the grand final might depend on whether they uh, play a night grand final or not. I think the time zone with WA is really, really interesting because you could still play an afternoon grand final in WA in October, you're still gonna you're gonna have long days. It's gonna be fine, plenty of daylight, but it would push into that twilight time slot that the AFL is really interested in. And they could check the ratings. They could see how all this pans out from a Victorian point of view. So I think it's really interesting. Do you have any strong opinions about a night grand final at all? Because clearly this is something that's been they've been talking about this for five, ten years. I honestly do not give a shit. Like it, it doesn't worry me if it's a day grand final, if it's a night grand final. It just doesn't matter to me. 
in the slightest. I understand it's tradition, but I feel like AFL held on to tradition so tightly and for no good reason other than this is what used to happen. It's like my issue with clash jumpers and putting names on the back of jumps. Oh, we never did it before. Just you had the record and look at people's numbers. That's cool, but like, let's move forward. Let's do something different. I, I don't see the problem with a night grand final. I don't, yeah, oh, the kids will have to stay up late. Oh, okay, cool. Like, kids stay up late anyway, and it's one night a year, maybe one night in their entire childhood that their team is in a grand final for certain clubs, and there are plenty of clubs like my club that I never had a grand final in my childhood. So I really don't see that being a problem. I, I couldn't give two shits whether it's a day or a night grand final. I would agree. Uh, whether you can play it at night, you can play it in the day. I've said this before. Uh, that I, I really do not care where my team is playing in the finals. And uh, this has always been the, the thing that I've said regarding finals, whether they're at the MCG, whether they are uh, teams get home finals. I, I don't care. If I get to watch my team play in a final, then I'm generally pretty happy about that. But speaking about our teams, and I think earlier in the week you called this the, Game of the Matthew year. Robbins Cup. I did. did. You, <laughs> Matthew I did. Robbins Cup. I, I want to call it the Locked On AFL Cup. I want to call We're it the, t- the Tim Callan the- Cup. Hey, Tim Callan. That's a good point. Yeah, Tim Callan. He was he was a star for both of these teams, but. Friday Night Footy, and we're going to get to the team selection for Thursday night in a little bit here, but Friday Night Footy is going to be a really interesting game. Uh, Cats and the Dogs, clearly we have a, a big interest in this one. Bulldogs really need the their top eight claims. The Cats, obviously, for the same reasons for the top four. The Cats will go in favourites. What are you looking for from this game, though, from the Dogs? Because I do think that there's a few interesting storylines, and, and I do think the way the Bulldogs can play the game could potentially challenge the Cats. Now, this is, yeah, I'd like your perspective on from a neutral a, a neutral side of things, but I feel like when the Bulldogs game is on, like there is, there aren't many, if any, teams better to watch than when things are rolling. Like when that ball is transitioning out of halfback, when the handball is going and it's getting flicked around and space is being created and they're running hard and they're getting in hard... I don't know if there's many teams that are better to watch. Maybe you could throw a couple out there that are equal, but but when they're off, it it, it looks rough. But when they they are on, it is super exciting. And they were they were on in that in that third quarter against Melbourne. Like Melbourne were powerless to stop it. Yes, there was turnovers, but there was pressure, there was movement, everything was absolutely rolling for the Bulldogs there. And if they can turn that on against Long, then the game becomes yeah, pretty strong. But if they put up some of the nonsense they put up in other games, like perhaps the game against Richmond, then it, it could be a real blowout. And that Geelong. We talked about Geelong's yes, high-powered forward line and the way that Tom Hawkins has been playing and the way their back line's going. I think the midfields probably match up pretty evenly. Um, I would say that there's firepower both ways there. And you could you could easily make an argument that maybe the Bulldogs' midfield has a, a marginal edge in some of those areas with and Jack McRae has leads the league in total disposals this year. You've, you've got Bonten Pally there, Hunter's in there. You've got a whole bunch of guys in there. But I think maybe the, the ends of the ground is where Geelong has that advantage. So the interesting thing with these two teams, when you look at the team stats, uh, the Cats average 312 disposals per game, the Bulldogs 311. So there's one disposal average per game. So they both collect a lot of the footy. Uh, what they do with it, obviously, is very different. I don't think that there's a more organized team in the AFL than Geelong. When you look at the way they like to move the ball, when you look at the way they defend. So if you want to get the Cats uh, off their game or out of their comfort zone, I've said this before, but it comes with pressure and it also comes with uh, getting them disorganized. So you can do that defensively with the handball game. We know the Bulldogs, uh, they're plus 20 in handballs per game for the Cats. We know that they like to use the ball by hand and move the ball by hand out of traffic and then find a bit of freedom for the kick. 
So I think that the dogs have an opportunity and really a rare opportunity. I don't think there's many teams out there that oppose this threat of getting them a little bit unsettled. So they can do that, but it has to start with the pressure. And I think the big thing for the Bulldogs for mine when I watch them through the year is you can typically tell in the first quarter whether they're on or not. And it starts with the pressure. And there's some games where they're just not switched on. And we've seen so far this year, if you're not, if you don't have that pressure ramped up super high against the Cats, they're probably going to run all over you because they get a chance to stay comfortable. They get a chance to stay settled. So for mine, the Bulldogs, uh, their, their pressure for one has to be turned right up. And number two, uh, they have to be clean with those hands and get the Cats zone moving a little bit and a little bit scrambled because if you don't, uh, it's it's going to be a long day. To me, both of those things are pressure because you talk about putting pressure on the ball carrier and that's something the Bulldogs, you know, when they're on, that's what they do. And, and we talked about that when uh, Easton Wood was on the show about that pressure of attacking ball carriers and that's a great indicator. But also the way that they move the ball through that handball, through the you know, the quick firing and, and guys you know, overlapping. And even you can look at, you know, Geelong averages one and a half bounces a game, Bulldogs four and a half bounces a game. Like that sort of ball movement pressure is a different sort of pressure. And you talk about Geelong's organization with the zone, but if you're carving it up with handballs getting through and there's five blokes and they're, they're running super hard, like Lockie Hunter, Bailey Smith are probably the two hardest runners in this team. And they can get, you know, 50 meters ahead of a contest and 10 possessions later get on the end of it and we saw that against Melbourne plenty of times but that's pressure that's offensive pressure that can throw that organization completely out the window so they need to get both of those ends going pressuring the Geelong ball carriers and ball handlers but also getting that pressure to to break up that defense to just have guys flying all over the place to have their you know, targets being spotted and guys running hard because the harder you run the more that opens up and that is that's the key for them is getting that pressure going on both ends I think so we can talk about the Cats' forward line, and, and obviously we've done that a lot this season. As far as the dogs go, I think the question for teams coming up against the Cats is always, how do you score? They're giving up 50 points per game over the last 10 rounds. Geelong, Aaron Norton obviously has come back into the team. This will be his fourth game uh, since returning, and it's interesting. Obviously, he had that monster game against Adelaide, but sandwiched around that, Brisbane and Melbourne, uh, he's only had a total of five kicks in those two games, kicked the one goal, just hasn't really been able to have an influence from a, a contested mark player that we know he is and got and kicking goals. Now, the Cats, if they have one target to really pick on, we know typically they do a pretty good job of that. So I think the Bulldogs will have to be careful about uh, just focusing on Aaron Norton too much because if they do, uh, that's where they're going to be found out. But also, I, I think this is this is a great test for this guy. He's probably going to get Harry Taylor if he comes back into the team. If not, he's going to get Lockie Henderson. If not, he's going to get Mark Blitzavs. Uh, this is this is shaping up as a tough day at the office for Aaron Norton, but the Bulldogs at the same time need him to to have a big one. I yeah, you said they they don't need to focus too much. I reckon he almost does better when they do, and when things get a little bit crowded, like last week when Josh Bruce came back into the team, he just wasn't. You know, targeted enough and he wasn't in, given those opportunities to fly because we know that he can take a, he's one of the best contested mark takers in the league and we, he can take a grab and he can bring the ball to ground but if the ball's not getting to him then that opportunity and that sort of contested ball chaos that tends to arise from marking contests you know, 25 metres out um, is not as prevalent. So depends what they do with Bruce, who wasn't very good last week against Melbourne. I don't know whether he plays again this week. I assume he does. But maybe if he is out, that actually opens things up more for Norton. The ball goes more towards him, and he can have more of an impact that way. Yeah, you're just going to be really careful about telegraphing what you're doing that's with true. the footy against the Cats because if you do, uh, that's when they find themselves, uh, opposition typically find themselves in trouble. 
Joel Solid looks like he's not going to play in this one again. We spoke last week about the fact that we thought potentially it just seemed, I mean, we don't know, but it seemed like he came back uh, pretty quickly from that initial hamstring that he had against Collingwood going back in uh, round seven, I believe it was. So it looks like he's not going to play again, despite the fact the Cats had a, an extended break into the LA game and now this Bulldogs game. So we'll see how they manage him in the lead up to the finals. But uh, overall, like I said, uh, this, you know, if you're talking about a game that, that either team desperately needs to win, certainly this is one the Bulldogs really Have need. To. Have How you feel? How you feel? Uh, I'm not feeling confident because I think our record against Geelong is probably the worst versus any team in in the league. Um, it's it's not it's not a good record at all. Um, I think the even in the Premiership year, Geelong was the only team that the Bulldogs didn't beat. They beat every other team, but but not Geelong in that year. So yeah, never never a great feeling. But most of those are, are, are all those issues have been down at GMHBA Stadium. So we don't have that problem in this one. I'm not feeling super confident because the Bulldogs have struggled with teams above them and generally handled the teams below them all season. So this is, is a tough one, but they absolutely need to win this one because if they don't win this one, they have West, they have a bye, then they have West Coast, and that would almost put a pin in the finals, I would think. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough. I mean, you look at the fixtures, the run homes for those teams that are around sort of that uh, 11 to 7 mark. There's some really interesting games. This is certainly one of them. But if you can pick up one that you're not expected to win, yeah. then you put yourself in a really good spot. So that's the challenge for the Bulldogs. As far as Thursday night footy, we've got a doubleheader tonight, which uh, I am pumped. I am pumped for the doubleheader tonight. I love it when we have uh, these on the schedule. But Hawthorne Essendon tonight, as we pointed to, Joe Danaher is back. He's officially back. And it's interesting to look at the uh, lineup for Essendon, though, because uh, Tom Bellchambers goes out, and so does Sam Draper. So they bring in Andrew Phillips, and he's going to ruck. But this tells me if they need someone else to ruck, it might... I mean, Kyle Hooker comes back in. Maybe it's him that slips up there. I'm not sure. But if not, it might be Joe Danaher. I'm kind of surprised. It feels like they've rushed him back in. We've spoke about him a lot, so I don't know how much... We need to go into it. But to bring Danaher back and then lose both of your Ruckman, it's interesting. It's an interesting team they're running with here. And again, a game they really need to win. Yeah, I don't know who else they would throw in there if uh, Phillips is struggling in that scenario because we know that McAvoy's there for Hawthorne. But maybe you look at Hawthorne's team, that they're only going with the one Ruckman there as well that I can see yeah. unless I'm just missing. Oh, no, uh, no sorry, Seg- Segler's back. So they've got the both of those guys. Uh, both those guys in so uh, maybe they're just happy to go with Phillips and go with a more like let's win the clearances rather than the hitouts and just maybe throw someone in there to marginally compete um, to try and you know, just uh, open up other areas of the ground I would be pretty stunned if they threw Danaher in there personally but but who knows I, I think it probably most likely would be Hooker just for to pinch hit if Phillips needs it but it is, a, it is an interesting decision to get both Bell Chambers and Draper out of there to bring Phillips and, and Danaher and, and Hooker back in. And the, uh, So first of all, we, uh, the, the interesting thing about Essendon when I look at this game, they're playing Hawthorne. We said they need to win, but uh, do you have any confidence that they're going to win this game? We've seen Hawthorne turn it on at times. Yeah, that's the thing. Hawthorne has been bad in a lot of games, and they have these real weird ones. Like you go to the Carlton game where they were like really, really good. And they do lose Burgoyne and Stratton, which is not easy to uh, yeah, get back from. But Gunston comes back in. That's that's a huge in for Hawthorne. Um, I don't have the confidence that Essendon's going to win this. I think they probably will, but I couldn't tell you I'm super confident with it. And if they lost, I wouldn't be like, man, that's a, that's a real surprise. Because given how they've played this season, you just don't know what's going to happen from game to game. But the return of Danaher, the second game back for Stringer, I think he is probably equally, if not more important, to have him 
yeah, if he gets anywhere back to to his best, that that's just another option. And we talked about you know pushing the responsibilities down of the other forwards. Um, yeah, really really strong debut from Mosquito last week as well. So I think they probably can get it here, and they obviously have the motivation because they're the team that needs this win. Hawthorne's not going anywhere; that they need this win. If they don't, it will be a disappointment. But I'm not going to say I'm, I'd be surprised if they lost. It's so funny how one name all of a sudden makes your forward line look so much more damaging, and with Danaher Stringer. Dylan Shields named on a half forward flank, Devin Smith, McDonald, Tip and Woody. All of a sudden, you're like, ah, this is a team that can kick some goals. So it'll be interesting to see. I think I would still go with the Bombers. I think they'll get the boost from Danaher being back. But we mentioned Ruckman and Richmond taking on Nick Natanui tonight. They've brought in Toby Nankervis. Uh, Ivan Soldo is still in the team. So they're going with two genuine Ruckman that don't really play much elsewhere. They're basically number one Ruckman. They haven't played together a lot. Maybe your Chol goes out, which is a little bit surprising. I've enjoyed watching him play this season. Sydney stack out. He's been in reasonable form the last couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, interesting decision to go here with the two Ruckman. I reckon this is obviously an attempt to try and wear down Nick Nanui, who's been, you know, arguably in career best form, certainly health-wise. Uh, <laughs> knock on wood that he's, he's been healthy to this point. Uh, and there were some rumors yesterday that when Nankervis comes in the the team, that potentially he might be a guy that uh, teams are circling at the end of the year as a guy to recruit, premiership player. And let me ask you this. How old do you think Toby Nankervis is? Because I just looked this up now. I feel like he's 28 or 29. Yeah, I would have. I mean, I would have said that I would have thought he was 30. He's 26. Wow, okay. Just yeah. coming into his prime. Premiership Ruckman, if teams want him, I reckon he'd be a guy that uh, uh, you know, there would be a market for. Yeah, you would think so. Now, I wonder what they're going to do here in terms of playing these guys together. Is it going to be one of these scenarios where one guy gets 60% ground time, the other gets 40, and they just eliminate a rotation? Because you wonder if can they both be on the field at the same time? Like, do you want to just drop one of those guys down in the square? I don't feel like you do with Rewalt and Lynch down there. Like, Is that that the direction that you you want to go? I, I wouldn't have thought so. So is this limiting bench rotations, which I guess is less of a concern in a 16-minute quarter environment. But it's still, a, it's still a weird way to go about it, I think. Well, I don't think Nankervis or Soldo can play anywhere else other than... I mean, if you're going to put them on the ground, they're going to play forward, right? Yeah. And then if they play forward, then you've got Lynch, Rewalt, and you know either Soldo or Nankervis. He's starting to look pretty damn tall down there. Uh, and of course, when you think about West Coast... And this is the interesting thing about the Eagles. I watched that game last week against the Giants. We spoke about McGovern with the eight intercept marks. But West Coast aren't a team that you want to just bomb inside 50 to a tall target because they'll pick you off all day long, whether it's McGovern, whether it's Barras. They've got so many, it's Shannon Hearn. They've got so many smart defenders that love to intercept marks. So it's kind of interesting to go in tall against this West Coast team. I'm curious to see how this pans out. And perhaps above all else, maybe it's a beat up. I don't quite believe it until I see the Eagles struggle, but they're back in the hub. They're back in Queensland. Let's see if they can. Let's see if they can keep up their form because uh, I, I think they've won eight in a row now. They've they been have. red hot. Yeah, they've got the longest winning streak in the league at eight games. The next closest is Geelong with four games. So that's yeah, they are really powering along at nine and three here, and a game in hand versus every other team in the top eight West Coast does. So they can really yeah, extend themselves, put themselves basically. Yeah, number two or, number, or probably number two on the ladder, depending on if, how, if they win and how much they win by if they do get the victory because they're currently five percentage points behind Port Adelaide. 
and a win here would put them equal on points and their percentage could go up and they could very well find themselves at the top of the ladder after this game tonight. So that is going to be really, really key to see. And I'm absolutely going to be looking straight away at the end of this game to see that sort of time on ground split between Soldo and Nankervis. And I guess the result will tell us whether that's whether that uh, tactic or strategy ended up working out for them. The other, they said they're the two games, also a nice double header going on. Uh, what other games are you looking at over the weekend? I'm pretty interested to see Melbourne St. Kilda. We know Melbourne shit the bed last week in a game they had to win, and now this is another win because they have got some pretty pretty easier games coming up later on uh, from memory, but they need to get this one over St. Kilda, who has yeah, fallen off a little bit. They've, they're all the way down in sixth now after being in that top three for portions of the season. This is a, it looks to be a bit of a ripper to me. Well, Melbourne proved me right when I said I've got no faith in them against the Bulldogs because, you know, they get those couple of wins in a row, Adelaide, North Melbourne, and then Collingwood, who were just absolutely awful on a shorter break themselves, I believe, as well. So I didn't have much faith, but I wanted them to prove it because, again, you know, I look at the list, and the list is great. I just think there's so much talent there with Melbourne. I know, obviously, Max Gorn's been out, and he's such a key to everything they do, even though uh, Braden Proust is a good ruckman. They clearly miss Gorn, but geez, they're just a frustrating team. I don't even go for Melbourne and they frustrate me. I would hate to be a Demons fan. Yeah, it would be extremely frustrating, and it's not just a one-season frustration as well because there's ups and downs all over the place. But you talk about you know, when you need need a win, this is a key one for them to get this one because they could find themselves you know, right down the, the, the back end of, the, of that pack that's fighting. Now, their games after this, the Swans, the Dockers, and the Giants. The Giants, maybe that, that's going to be a tough one there, but they've got two winnable games coming up after the St. Kilda one. But if they don't get this Saints game, you feel like they just lose touch a little bit here. So the other interesting thing about this game, and I know this literally right now because I just looked it up, but it's at TIO uh, Traeger Park in Alice Springs. So you can basically guarantee that this is going to be a slippery uh, slippery contest as all the games are in uh, the Northern Territory with just how warm and humid it is. This is my only problem with footy in the Northern Territory because I, I personally, I love the look of a, a local ground. I love the fact that fans are just like chilling on the grass. They're drinking beers. They're bringing their own chairs. Like I love it. Like it's awesome. And I love the, uh, the experience these players have of playing in Darwin. I love the environment, the atmosphere. You can tell how much the fans love it. But the quality of footy just sucks because it's, it's the games are always played. It's almost like a, a full-on wet weather game because it is so uh, slippery out there. So I think that this is going to even up this contest as well. It would have been a really interesting game in perfect conditions well, because St. Kilda, we know they, they love playing at Marvel Stadium. That's where they, they have the advantage because they love quick ball movement, perfect conditions. So this will be interesting. I'm going to disagree with you on that, Kane, because I agree the slippery conditions are a problem in Darwin. They're not in Alice Springs. Only looking at the the forecast for Saturday, thirteen percent humidity. Oh well, I so, mean, lucky, lucky we, lucky we've got uh, Mark. Uh, I can't remember his name now. The Channel Ten uh, weather reporter on the Mark on the Barrera? podcast today. Is it Mark? Uh, I don't know who it is. Anyway, but yeah, Alice Springs because it is. It's Central Australia. It's very dry. Like it's going to be hot. There's no doubt. Is this game Saturday or Sunday? I don't have that in front of me. It's on Saturday. So the Alice Springs temperature on Saturday is twenty eight degrees but humidity is 13%, right? And it's going to be hot when it's played. Like It's going to be 23 degrees or so by the time that the game is played, I believe, which is a, an afternoon slash night game. Yeah, it's a, it's a night game, so it's going to be a hot one for the night, but the slipperiness is not going to be an issue in Alice Springs versus in Darwin where it would be uh, quite a problem. 
Well, I, I'm watching this game very closely now. And if I see one player slip over or one <laughs> footy slip through the hands, I'm texting you straight away. Uh, but, hey, I, I, that's that's great news then. I, I'm glad you're right. Apologies to all uh, the Alice Springs listeners of the podcast. I take it back. I, I completely take it back. I was wrong. Zero percent chance of rain for Saturday as well. So, Alice Springs, let's, uh, let's see what you got. You'd be feeling pretty ripped off if you played a game in the NT and you got rain. Oh, it depends, depends what time of the year because there's times of the year up there where it is literally rain. Well, that's why they play in the summer, isn't it? Because that's the the wet season, as as in the NTFL. I don't even know when their wet season is. I can't. I, I couldn't even. I know that there's. Oh. I think it's through the summer because I think I know a lot of local players that will play footy, um, you know, here in Victoria through the winter and then move to the to the NT for their for their season. I think all their local seasons are through the summer. Of course, again, I mean, I could just be wrong about no, every yeah, single. You, you are. Their, their, their wet season. Their wet season is between November and April, so their right, wet season yeah. is the summer. So, I reckon just give up on Northern Territory climate at this point here, Kane. No, so that's right. I was right, wasn't I? The wet season is the summer. Yeah, exactly. So why do they they go up and play in the wet season? Yeah, because then it's too hot and dry during the. Uh, it'd be like us uh, playing yeah. in summer. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but then how slippery is it up there? And that we're getting into debates. We don't need to, <laughs> we don't need to talk about here. Um, yeah, I think. So, we, let me just say, I think we've recorded about. I think this is podcast number sixty, and this is finally after sixty podcasts, we've put, completely gone off the rails here today. We're at podcast fifty-eight, so we're we're, we're, not, we're not quite there. I'm just fact-checking you all over the place. But I reckon that's as, as good a time as any to end this one, Kane. Thank you for another informative and uh, and humorous episode of Locked On AFL. Uh, I'll, I'll be back tomorrow and, and this is only the start of our disagreements as we get closer to Cats Bulldogs on Friday yes can't wait for that one guys subscribe Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Stitcher and on Spotify and leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and today I'm going to leave you with a shout out to Hayden Jolly <laughs>